Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to a Vietnam podcast by 7 Million Bikes Podcast. I'm your host, Neil McKay. As we take a break right now between seasons, we're bringing you regular pod swaps, where we bring to you a podcast from one of our friends, which is related to Vietnam. In this episode, we're going to share another touching episode from the Vietnamese Boat People podcast. Tracy Nguyen Mang has been on the podcast. It was so good, so go back and check that episode out. And she has shared one of her episodes with us before, which was the very first episode of the Vietnamese Boat People podcast. This is one of my favorite shows out there, so go and check it out. It's everywhere you can get podcasts, obviously, and the link is in the show notes. In this episode, it's episode 5 of the Vietnamese Boat People podcast called Slumdog Brothers, all about Tracy's family. Enjoy the episode. Cheers. put me in jail like a month you know I was uh, 13 years old it's horrible because like the police would ask all kind of questions and they using one of the stick to hit me you know because they want me to tell the truth I know that my mom is a part of it involved in that but I didn't tell them the truth using one of the stick you know to hit me you know so many times even though I'm crying but I'm not telling them you know what's going on Hi, I'm 
Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome to Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. In episode four, I shared my family's story of how difficult life became after the Vietnam War ended. And under the communist rule, policies were enforced to create a classless society where citizens became laborers, and the government owned, controlled, and distributed the fruits of that labor. Having heard rumors of how people were starting to flee the country, my parents began trying to escape when it became clear that there was no future for the kids. In 1979, my oldest brother Steve and my dad left. They were the first in the family. My mom was left with six kids to raise on her own. I sat down with mom and asked, what happened after dad and Steve left? Did neighbors start to notice? She said a local authority who knew our family noticed the very next day and casually said to her, once they find out that your husband is missing, they will come and question you and raid the house and take any food or supplies you have as punishment. He was giving mom a tip. Mom immediately gathered the children to harvest all of our crops on the farm, even if they weren't ripe. She cut down all the rice stalks, picked whatever banana and mangoes had grown on the trees, and ran to the neighbors asking them to hide it for us. In exchange, Mom promised they could keep a portion of the food for their own families. Within three to four days after my dad had left, the authorities came searching the town. They first questioned the neighbors. Luckily, our town stood together and created a lie for us. They said that mom's husband had not been happy, that finally one day he just snapped and just took off and abandoned the family, and that the family was so poor, always begging everyone for food, that they wouldn't have had the money for an escape. One of the neighbors got to my mom in time to tell her and said she needed to stick to the same story. So when they came ransacking our home on day five, mom lied just as they told her to. She said as for my brother Steve, he followed the wrong crowd. She broke down into tears and said she can't be bothered looking for either of them. She has six children she needed to take care of. Of those six children, there were three boys, ages 15 to 10, and three girls, ages 7 to 2. I was the baby. Of the three boys, Mom said Chris felt the burden the most. This is what Chris remembers. I have, like, one younger brother and three younger sister at that time and the youngest one uh, two three years old i had to take care i feel like even though at that time i was like 13 but i still have to take care my mom she had to go out to go to work she she not gonna come home until late at night so i want to make sure that i can uh, cook you know take care of them i'm trying to learn how to uh, fishing you know, it's a small river, you know, nearby my house with a couple of neighbors, you know, which is about the same as my age. And then uh, to cook and to, to feed all my sister and brother to take care of them. By 1979, Vietnam had isolated itself from the rest of the world. 
it was impoverished by the new reform. They control the, the you know the living, the way you live in. They control everything, especially you know they control like where you go and what you do and everything, and it's made your life difficult at that time. Was everyone poor? Yeah, not only majority, most of the people is all poor. They change the money, currency, the money. So what happened is they allow only each family, I'm giving an example, each family allowed to exchange the money, like a thousand dollars, I'm just giving an example. So if you have more than a thousand dollars in the house, so you have to give to some other family so they can exchange for you because they allow only each house, so only, you know, a thousand dollars. And then you gotta give some money for them too because they do for you, you a favor. The government changed the currency a few times. This was to wipe out any wealth in private businesses and to reset Vietnam into a classless society. This made it almost impossible for families to accrue any savings. People felt helpless and hopeless. I feel like what I have to do, what I have to do, you know, I mean, I mean like with the situation, with the country, it totally changing. Though at that time, I'm only focused like how I'm gonna take care of my sister and brother. My mom said my brothers really stepped up as men, even if they were only boys at the time. My brother Rocky was only 15. He was responsible for the crops after dad left. Then there was Chris, age 13, and Danny, age 10. They both headed into the city after school every day to sell cigarettes, tea, and rice on the trains and in the city markets. I went to the, the train. My younger brother, like 10 or 11, so we buy rice. So we, we bring into a different city, which is we took by train. And we tried to make, I mean, we tried to save some money so we didn't buy the ticket for the train. So before the train get to the station, different city, we tried to unload everything before we get to the station. Because when we get to the station, they, they caught us. You know, every time the train... They get to the station, they always like slow down, they go slow down. So once they get to the gate, to one of the destinations, so we try to, you know, jump down, to get out, jump down, and, you know, to push all the stuff, all the rice, bed, then we, we jump down. At that time, all I just focus is, you know, make some money, and, and we just feel like we can't stand, we need to get out of here. money left to give up each of us to try to escape out of country. In order to escape Vietnam, you had to either pay in advance or put a deposit down for a spot on a fishing boat. There were no refunds and no guarantees. It was a crapshoot that millions were willing to take if they could find the money. All of this was normally orchestrated through a middleman, who would charge an uplift on the desperate people. Some would eventually say that the police were onto them and took all the money. You didn't know if they were lying or not. It was hard to know who to trust. But mom said, even if you got scammed, no one would dare to go to the police to report such a thing. Because of the frequency of the currency changes, Gold became the new stable currency. Mom said at that time, it cost about three ounces of gold per person to escape. To put that in perspective, 
Three ounces of gold today is almost 4,000 U.S. dollars. That money was used to pay for a fishing boat, to buy gasoline and some food for the journey, but also to bribe officials, gatekeepers, and coast guards on duty to look the other way. My mom had made friends with a couple in the market where she sold goods, who had just lost one of their sons in the recent war with Vietnam and Cambodia. They were desperate to figure out how to get their other boys out of the country. They said they had the money. Mom made a deal. She said, if I arrange to have your kids escape in exchange, I need you to lend me money so my three boys can escape as well. The next day, she decided to go down to the fishing harbors and hang out all day, pretending to sell knick-knack, but secretly eavesdropping and observing the scene to see which boat owners might be planning an escape. Uh, somehow she met one of the owner of the boat that they want to fool the people together so they can, you know, to get out of the country. He told my mom, like, if you can find, like, people and try to escape from Vietnam, give me some gold, I think, like, the, the, the people in your family can go. Now mom became the main orchestrator because it meant that her kids had a chance. So she went all over the country, you know, to Saigon, to Nha Trang, whoever had the money, if they want to, their kids try to escape from Vietnam. But paying for a spot on a boat was only the first step. Well, the first time, me and one of my older brother and the other younger brother, we, three of us, uh, we left at the, at the darkness. It's, it's past midnight, so we have to uh, pretend like we're going to the, you know, swimming at the, the ocean. And we, with a whole bunch of people, we kind of separate. We're not going to go like the whole crowd group, though. So, you know, we, go, we separate like three people in one group, three people in one group, pretend like we go, we're going to the, uh, the beach and stuff like that. Uh, so we got and the small boat, they're coming in, so they pick us up, they pick us up, and then they go out a little bit further, and they got a big boat waiting outside, you know, so that way they can pick up us later. But we went like two days, and we, the owner said could not make it because it raining, thunderstorm, and the weather was so bad at, at that time. So they decide to turn around, and during turn around, we have to pray, you know, regardless if you are Catholic, Buddhist, whatever, we have to pray, you know, make sure that we can get back safely. So we got back, like, at, I believe, like 3 o'clock in the morning. So everybody get off the boat. And, but we don't know where the heck we are at, the, at that time. You know, we have no idea. Not even Nyatang, not even close to Nyatang. So we say everybody get out and... Everybody had to find a way to go home. Before we escape, my mom always give us a little bit of money. So just in case, if we not make it, then we can turn around. At least we have my money, you know, to get home. Yes, and we went to one of the bus stations. So we all walked. We walked about like three, four miles, but uh, around three, four o'clock in the morning. And we kind of, we walked, but we walked like on the sideway because we are afraid that police, they maybe saw us. So every time we see the, the car coming, so we have to hide into one of the, the tree or bushes. So... 
make sure that nobody can see us. So we wait until like early in the morning. Once we get to the bus station, we go home from there. I'm not feel sad or anything. I feel like you know, thanks God. You know, we say that we we come back though. Like six months later, the next time my mom asked me if I, I want to escape again, I said sure. At the second time, we went to one of the village that's nearby the beach. That's where the um, with the small boat they gotta come pick us up. You know, like around over the midnight. But during that night, when we we stay to we stay at one of the village. Somehow at that night, I guess like because like the, that village they feel like something going on because a lot of people, stranger people in their village, so they kind of report to the police. That night, the police they was like go to each of the house to check, to make sure if you are resident in address or if you come from somewhere, why didn't you report to the police that, uh, you know, you come here to visit me? So I was caught during, you know, when I was uh, sleeping. So they come in, you know, and they check all the, you know, paper, the ID, say, who are you, where do you live, stuff like that. So they find out we are the group of people trying to escape from Vietnam. So I was caught them and I was in the, they put me in jail like a month. And what was jail like? I was staying with all the adult people there and we have all like different types of the crime. People living, staying in one room. And it, it, it's horrible because in the morning, the bathroom only once a day, that's it. Okay, regardless, only in the morning. What about Anay and Ambeo, were they with you? No, at that time, they're not with me. My mom said my other brothers ran home and told her what had happened. She panicked that Chris was not with them. Not only was she scared for his safety, but she knew that the police was going to try to find out who was the orchestrator of the escape. She was afraid that Chris was going to reveal everything. After all, he was just a child. I didn't tell them the truth that my mom, I said, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anything because, you know, my mom just told me to go into with these people and go into the Saigon, stuff like that. So I didn't tell the truth. So they tried to using one of the stick, you know, to hit me, you know, so many times, even though I'm crying, but I'm not telling them, you know, what's going on. So at that time, my mom know where I was kept. But uh, she afraid to go visit me because she afraid that if I tell him, you know, she part of it, so they maybe kept her too. So she didn't want to uh, to come to visit me. She she, she was so scared because when I got home, I told mom, I said, how come you didn't come visit me? She said she was scared. She don't know what I'm telling the police at that time, and she not even living at home. She had to go to her friend to go somewhere to live because she afraid that if I tell the truth, the police that they go to after her and go go to the house and and, and got her. Chris was in prison for a month. There was no trial or anything. One day, they just decided to let him go. And when they finally released him, he returned to school the next day and was expelled. So the school 
was kicked me because they say, you know, you know, my family is a part of the South Vietnam. So you got kicked out of school? I got kicked out of school and I was, you know, trying to go on the street to selling, you know, some stuff to make some money. My mom was asking three months later, she, she asked me if I'm afraid to, to try again. I said, no, I'm not afraid. I can try to make it to escape again. I was uh, with um, my younger brother and my older, my older brother with me, and with another cousin too. I left, ran at the Nyatang, one of the canal Nyatang. So I pretend like one of the fishing, you know, guy, you know, at that time. And they didn't pay attention because I was like a little kid. So they don't really like pay attention to me much. So I'm just pretending like one of the fishing, you know, guy on, on the boat. Because as soon as you go out, they, they check to make sure that we all like register. We all like have a license to fishing, stuff like that, whoever on the boat. But uh, I was lucky because they, they didn't check my ID or they didn't ask me much, I guess because I was young at that time, so they didn't pay attention. The other younger brother and my brother, they took a different route. We all took a like, separate direction, but at the end, we got to meet at one destination. So we tried to go out and we went until the sun go down, getting darker, and then we try to go further, further outside, and then they have a small boat out there, so they go around to pick up people, you know, so they pick up us, us up, and then we go about like 15, 20 minutes later, and they have a big boat further out there waiting for us. They, they told us, like, oh, you got to be there at like 2 o'clock in the morning. So we all have to make sure that we have to meet at the big boat out there by 2 o'clock in the morning. If not, they got to take off. So we all, like, try to make it. The owner of the boat said we don't know how long we're going to be on the ocean. So every day we only have a small, small boat rice and a cup of water, that's it, once a day. And it takes like five days to get to the Philippines, uh, Manila. And the third time I make it. Chris and my brothers ended up in Palawan refugee camp in the Philippines, where they waited for six months and was eventually reunited with my dad and brother Steve in America. As for the rest of us back in Vietnam, the authorities started searching for my mom. She had to leave my sisters and I with different relatives and went into hiding for almost a year. I want to let all the young generation, I mean, if you happen to listen to this broadcast, I mean, you gotta remember where you're coming from, where your family, your grandmom, you know, your grandfather, where they're coming from, don't, from, don't forget your roots. Again, this, is a, this land is an opportunity for you. It's a freedom country. So, you know, you need to take this opportunity and to make your dream come true. Tracing Wen Ming, and thank you for listening and helping us preserve history. This episode concludes a story about my family. Coming up next season in just a few weeks, we'll bring you stories of other families 
voices from our second generation, and heartfelt memories from the humanitarians that stepped in to aid the Vietnamese boat people. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform and follow us on Instagram at Vietnamese Boat People. And if you have a story to share, email us at stories at VietnameseBoatPeople.org. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. Cheers.